98 FM. Now, that's what I call sport podcast. Hello there, it's Jamie Moore here. You're very welcome to the That's What I Call Sport on 98FM. We're here every Sunday between 9am and 10am. And as you can see, we're not actually in our studio today. We're out in Holt for two reasons. One, because I live here. And two, because this man, Shane Carthy, has a very important story about a walk he took here with his sister a few years ago. One we'll hear more detail in a few minutes. So I'm Shane, of course, plays for Nave Marnog and also a former Dublin All-Ireland winner as well. Shane, welcome to 98FM. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. So Shane wrote a blog just before Christmas and the headline of the blog was I'm no longer surviving I'm living mm-hmm. tell me more yes so um, essentially I, I kind of I had said to myself um, I've, been, I've been doing talks the last kind of 3-4 years um, around my whole story and I just wanted to get my message out there on a, on a bigger scale um, as I said I've done talks before but that's very limited in terms of it's at a certain time, certain date, uh, at a certain place. So I just want to get my message out there that people can relate to this at one o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the day. So that was my whole thing of, of wanting to get it on a bigger scale. And, and thankfully, it looks like it has. Yeah, and if people haven't read the blog, we're going to tweet it on at 98FM at the moment as well. But we're going to talk through exactly what is in it. And it's all about depression and mm-hmm. being a, you know, a really good sports person from your days in primary school through secondary school through winning the All-Ireland with the Dubs and through all of that period or, or some of it anyway you were yeah. really struggling with mental health issues and depression bring me to the middle of fifth year when the first signs came because you'd been in primary school you were sports boy of the year four years in mm-hmm. a row you were a top school captain as well mm-hmm. you were playing for the Dubs minors but things weren't right they weren't and, uh, and as I said it was it was very much so from, from early on I was lucky enough to be relatively, relatively talented at anything I, I threw my hand at and in particular Gaelic football um, was my main focus um, come fifth year. I was in second year at Dublin Minor and coinciding with that was actually um, a, a, a period of my life where it began what I didn't know at the time was depression and as you said it was middle of fifth year when I began these to get these low moods um, they, they were quite sporadic in terms of I maybe had uh, you know a bad day, felt, didn't feel great once, twice a month but these feelings and emotions that I, I was getting was gradually be get, uh, becoming worse and it began a two-year period of me just kind of bottling it up, and uh, and that's how it all began. Yeah, you spoke about a low feeling once or twice a month, and mm-hmm. at the time, you know, you were, as we said, at the top of your game in terms of becoming, you know, a Dublin footballer, which was always your dream, <coughs> but those low feelings once or twice a month became more and more and more, and yeah. you didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell any, anybody, and the, the reason being, at the very start, I was so naive in thinking that it was there was hormonal changes going on in my body, I didn't take much notice of it. As I said at the beginning, it was very sporadic. It was once, twice a month. But as the, the days and weeks and months passed, these feelings got a lot worse and a lot. They, I began to feel these more often. And I just felt like my coping mechanism, as I've spoken about, was football. And because I was so busy with it, that was a, a kind of a way out or a coping mechanism for me each day to kind of get through and in particular a, a bad day that I may have, may have had once or twice, you know. So, um, that kind of that period of my life was hugely difficult from the very beginning, but I always had sport there as a coping mechanism. But unfortunately, as the time went on, my my thoughts and uh, and my emotions were were getting uh, gradually worse, and I just felt like I cu- I couldn't speak to anyone. I didn't want to say it to my friends. I didn't want to say it to my family. You're fair there to many years previous and in primary school that I was lucky to be up on this pedestal that I didn't like to be up on, but. I was in a fortunate position that, that, that I was. I was playing for Dublin football, Dublin uh, minor football at the time, and I was on, the only one in my area doing it at this time. And I just felt like I had a, 
I, I had a, 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 I'd say, a personality to kind of keep up and, and this kind of poker face as I do talk about, I just felt like I had to keep that up every single day. Yeah, talk to me about the confidence of sport that you had and you felt that when you were playing sport, that was really the only time when your thoughts that made you sad were gone and you know people often speak about the release and whatever mm-hmm. being a sports person whether you be a cyclist or a football player or a boxer once mm-hmm. you're in the ring or on the pitch yeah. the rest of your thoughts are gone and you really did use that to try and help yeah massively and and from very very early on even even to the latter stages of, of those two years where I was going through it was uh, whether it was training a match um, my own personal training that I was doing every single time I went out there I got that, as you refer to, the, the endorphins and that, that, that kind of good feeling that you get post-exercise. And I related, relied on that so much so that it was, you know, it was, a, it was the only coping mechanism, that, coping mechanism that I had at that stage. Yeah, and you spoke about, you mentioned your, you, know, you had the poker face and also mm-hmm. in the blog you say the mask and that you yeah. were trying to keep up appearances and to everybody outside watching you playing sport and what you're doing so well and watching you get calls up, uh, call-ups for the minors, 21s and then the senior team. Mm-hmm. Nobody kind of knew every, anything, anything about that. How did you handle that period when you, you felt you had to put on a mask in public and then in private? It was a totally different story. Yeah, it was, it, it was a difficult period. It, it wasn't easy to, to do, but um, as I keep on referring to, sport was there for me and, and, I, and I always relied on that for those two years that I kind of went through a difficult period um, it was very easy for me to like you know put up that mask and like as in say everything was okay that's fine you know and, and I was just looking forward to the next session the next match whatever it may be and I always just kind of you know I was essentially acting for, for two years to, to everyone from, from my close family to my close friends to anyone outside and I just kind of just kept on kept on going on that, that, that trend and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't healthy for me it's never healthy for anyone to to do that and, and, and you know I just felt like at still at that time I could not come out with what exactly was going on with me So if we go to 2013 you get your first call up by Jim Gavin to the Dubs and yeah. the Dubs you know are, are such a fantastic team and it's always been your dream to be called up by the Dubs you make your debut you're involved in the squad that wins the All-Ireland in 2013 mm-hmm. and 18 months into that journey of being a senior Dub you're suicidal Yes yeah and uh, and that's a uh, 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 maybe it sound funny, a uh, funny thing for people to kind of think. You know, eighteen months into my journey, and I, and I win in All Ireland, um, and and I'm, and I'm feeling suicidal, as you say. Uh, you know, it was uh, say a week after the, winning the All Ireland, straight back down to earth. I was I was having these thoughts of of ending my life. Um, I never had a particular plan in mind, but these thoughts never left me. They, ne- they never went too far away from me, and it was a hugely scary feeling. And that's when I kind of coming up to that kind of January was when I start beginning to to have that conversation with myself. I was like, I have to speak up here. I have to like, I I didn't want to do what I was thinking, but I couldn't get away from those thoughts. So at that time, you're thinking, right, I need to speak up. I, I need to, to talk. And you're coming home from an away game. It's late at night. You arrive into the family kitchen and your family are still awake, which maybe at that time of night was uncharacteristic of them. Yeah. And you would maybe build yourself up to, to say something, mm-hmm. but you couldn't because something really bad had happened. Exactly, and as you say, it was that evening I was playing another 21s match versus Cork, um, and as my mum and dad did, and still do to this day, travel right around the country to any game it is, whether it's college, school, or school football as it once was then, and inter-county as well, and they went to every single match, and I travelled back in a bus, and in the, in the middle of that time, my mum coming back from Cork with my, with my father at the time, and I received a phone call to say that um, her dad had passed away, my granddad had passed away. And as he said, I was met with my sister and my my mum and dad in the kitchen at one o'clock in the morning, which straight away was alarm bells ringing for me. I was wondering why they were still up. 
um, because I was a bit after them after the match. And they just uh, met me with the news that my grandmother passed away. And such was the feeling of numbness and lack of emotion that I could attach to anything at all. I simply acknowledged it. I said, I'm sorry to hear, and I, I just left the room. And that was, like I guess, the first warning sign for my mum and dad and my family in general that something wasn't quite right. They, started, they began to see cracks from such a piece of devastating news for me to acknowledge it and just say, I'm sorry to hear that, and leave the kitchen was, was a strange reaction, to say the least. Yeah, this was in January 2014. Yeah. So you go to the funeral and you continue to feel bad, and then six weeks later, your granny dies. Mm-hmm. So your mum has lost her two parents in six weeks, and... I think that there's a really poignant part of the blog where you say, how could I say anything when my mum must be feeling ten times worse because she's lost both her parents and again, you couldn't say anything about what you were really feeling because another close family member in your family had died. Exactly, and, and just bringing you back to that January, I, I, I had conversations, as I, as I said, with myself to, to kind of bring it up with my, my mum and dad and unfortunately, as I said, my, my granddad passed away. A couple of weeks had come and gone after the funeral and I began to have that conversation again in my head. It's like, I need to speak up. And as I said, my, my granny had unfortunately passed away. So, exactly, I just felt like I was going to be an added burden to, to an already, you know, decimated family. And especially my mum to kind of, you know, I felt like whatever I was going through at that time can't even relate to what she was going through. So, I put it off. And as I did for those previous two years, put up that poker face and mask and just kept on going along with sport as it, as it was, as I say, my coping mechanism at the time. You're on there. That's what I call sport on 98FM. It's Jamie Moore here on Sunday with Shane Carthy speaking about his fantastic blog, which you can read right now on at 98FM on Twitter. And if you can't read it, he's telling us uh, here on video and also obviously listening on the radio as well. The reason we're in Hoped is because around this time when Shane was feeling very low, he came out here for a walk with his sister on the morning of Leinster semi-final, under 21 semi-final? Uh, Leinster final. Uh, Leinster final. Leinster okay, final, so yeah. he was here and he was feeling bad in the morning, decided he had to come for a walk with his sister. Did the Hoped Cliff walk, which is a fantastic walk, got some fresh air in the lungs. You went on the walk for an hour, but you said about five words, but you still felt listening to your sister would help. You, you thought of ringing the 21's manager, Desi Farrell, to say you couldn't play. Yeah. You didn't. You played. You won. You were man of the match. But you feel that this walk was kind of the start of, of you know, some sort of, of knowledge from your family that something wasn't right. Exactly, exactly. And I'll just bring you back to that, even that morning, um, how it all transpired, bringing... bringing um, or my sister bringing me out to to begin that walk was my mom met me in the in the sitting room um, with the with the, with the bowl of porridge at the time because obviously 19 years of age I couldn't make porridge apparently <laughs> um, and she met me in a flood of tears as to why I was in a flood of tears I don't know she um, she had asked me what what was up with me and f- you know all through even the previous two years I couldn't make sense of why I was feeling this way I was frustrated at myself that I couldn't convey what exactly was going through my head at the time. I just couldn't control these emotions that were, were, were ever worsening at this, at this stage. So she decided to take upon herself to, to, um, to text my middle sister, married as he said, and she just said, listen, we'll get, we'll get him out, we'll get him a bit of fresh air. And, and that began the, the Hote Cliff Walk that, um, that was that day, you know, as you do before Lancer finally go out on Hote Cliff Walk, you know. So Don't tell the manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that, that was the thing, you know, my, my sister was absolutely fantastic, you know. She knew she just needed to kind of get me out and break that kind of trend that I was going through, need to get out of the house and a bit of fresh air. Um, probably not the most ideal thing from a physical standpoint, but from a mental side, it was just to kind of get me out of the house and break that mould. As I said, I spoke very little, but it was something that at least got me away from my thoughts for an hour, hour and a half, whatever it may be. But then these thoughts start bundling back into my into my head when we when we came back into the car. And as he said, 
I started to begin to have the conversation, will I ring Desi? I can't do this. I can't face playing in front of a, a pack crowd in Port Leash in, in a lesser final. So, um, and, and even at that stage, that was the first time that I had, you know, as I said, sport was a huge coping mechanism for me, and that was the first time that I neglected it. I said, "Listen, th- this isn't even working for me. I need to, I need to get help." And for whatever reason, to this day, I don't know. I never carried through with that phone call, and as I said, the rest was history. Went on to win the game and man the match, and to this day, I still don't know how I've done it. Yeah, you know, one big part of most people's lives is music, and I love mm-hmm. music. But people who are very happy listen to music, but also people who are sad listen to music and listen to sad music. And yeah. I have a couple of pals myself who've gone through stuff, and I always used to say to them, "Don't listen to sad music because it only makes your mood worse." And they would continue to. They might put up an Instagram story of some sort of a sad song, and I'd immediately reply, "Going turn that off and whatever." Mm-hmm. And music is a part of this day because you were on the bus on the way to the match, yeah. and you said you didn't like the environment of a team bus, which I found strange because most sports people love being in the environment of travelling to a big game and that anticipation. But you'd made a playlist, you put your hood up, and you hoped that the music would take you out of that mood. And mm-hmm. I just found that really interesting that you just put the headphones on and, and you had your playlist ready to go. Yeah, and and even at that, I, I didn't think twice about um, how I looked on a bus because a lot a lot of people do that. A lot of people stick their headphones on and stick their hood up and are getting into the the, the mode of the game. And for me, it was it was a playlist that I had made. Um, I'm sure, as you just said there, I referred to a lot of songs like that brought me back to happy places, the happy yeah. moments that I had with my family, friends, um, a certain holiday that I went on. So I collated this playlist and and just stuck it on and just hoped that it would bring me to a better place than where I really was in my head. So this brings us to a fantastic quote And if you're any sports person And you're a sports player and you played at the top level The quote reads I was wishing every play would last forever And that was when Shane was on the pitch Winning the Leinster final for the dubs mm-hmm. As the man of the match as well But he didn't hang around too long for the celebrations You went home in the parents' car And shortly after that a trip to Stockholm To visit your oldest sister yeah. Is it uh, Michelle? Michelle, yeah And that was the first time when you told someone Of your suicidal thoughts yeah, and even at that, um, the, the reason being that we went, I went over to Stockholm was, as you said, my sister, my oldest sister, Michelle, I confided in her in maybe a few more things than I did with my, my other two sisters. And the whole thing was my mum was hoping that, you know, something, whatever I was apparently hiding, I, I would convey what exactly was going on for me. Again, it, it didn't transpire. I did let her know that I was having thoughts of, of ending my life. And obviously that's a hugely difficult thing for anyone to hear and especially my sister being so far away that she felt hopeless that she wanted to to help me but I couldn't explain to her what was going on for me so she she had little to no hope to you know she could be there for me but apart from that she couldn't do much so and that 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 trip was you know null and void in terms of trying to trying to make any progression as to an ever worsening situation yeah, and at that time, your parents wouldn't allow you to drive anywhere on your own, and they were worried about you, and it brings us to the day where you're in your dad's car on the way to, you know, to meet up with the team, mm-hmm. and you have a panic attack, yeah. and you wake up in a mental hospital, effectively, which you spent 11 weeks there. Tell me about that day, and again, it's a day that will stick in your memory for a long time. Yeah, and, and uh, as I said, my, my, my dad and uh, my mum and everyone in my family knew exactly what was going on for me at this stage. And he and he said he didn't want me to uh, to be driving to the training. So he he had brought me to DCU at the at the time where we were training. We had finished the training session, had come and gone. Very little had happened. There was just a few walkthroughs and tactics for the for the upcoming game, and we were due to have a meeting in Castlenock Hotel. So uh, we're travelling from DCU to Castlenock Hotel, and at this stage, um, very very little was going through my head in terms of as in I was I was essentially staring into space. I just felt my heart rate. Um, um, ever, ever heightening, and and the feeling of 
a panic just set upon me and, and I just asked my dad could he pull over at the side of the road and as you say the next thing that I remember um, obviously a, a, a panic attack transpired but the next thing I remember was waking up in, in St. Patrick's Mental Hospital being, uh, being greeted by two, uh, two nurses that morning and you went for food and like anyone else and you mentioned about the movies you, you expect to see you know people in straight jackets and mm-hmm. people I think you said punching walls or shouting yeah. or whatever yeah. but you were actually welcomed by the other people in the hospital and it wasn't what you expected it to be no and and that was the thing the very first time when the nurses greeted me to to uh, to tell me exactly where i was i referred straight to that i've i always refer to shutter island as an, yeah. an analogy of you know people in a dark room and straight jackets as you said head button the wall but because i was so uneducated about the whole mental health service and, and just mental health in general that I just uh, began to think this is what I'm going into and, the, and they invited me into the breakfast room and it was anything but it was as you said greeted by some lovely lovely patients that I'm still friends with to this day and that um, that was the beginning of my 11 week journey in St. Patrick's Mental Hospital and you spoke as well about you know a further weight lifting off your shoulders when the manager Desi Farrell came out publicly at a press conference before a big game to announce that you weren't going to be involved in the squad because mm-hmm. you were depressed and, and again that was a moment that for years you tried to hide but yeah. I'm sure when you knew that that was going to come out and when it did come out that was a weight lifted that now everybody knew what was happening yeah exactly and, and that was the thing Desi um, I, I owe huge gratitude to him to where I am today and we began to have the conversation after the first couple of weeks in hospital um, I, I was lucky in the fact that I was I was doing well from an under 21 football point of view and a senior football point of view and although I like to keep myself to myself I then had to realise that I'm in a lucky position that a lot of people would love to be in, that maybe what I say or do from a social media or public point of view it has an effect further afield. So I didn't want anyone ever, ever experiencing what I had to go through for those two years. So that was the decision that myself and Desi had made. And as you said, it became public. And um, and hopefully, still to this day, I hope I'm still striking a chord with someone to, to make sure they'll never be in the position that I I. I was. Yeah, and we're going to speak now a little about the skills and the mechanisms that you use to cope and what you do now to, to try and help mm-hmm. other people as well. And I, I lo- love the part where the, the nurse in the hospital asked, you know, what do you want mm-hmm. to try and help? And you said, shock your sports person, I want an open field. Yeah. So they allowed you to have a leave as such, I think it was called. And mm-hmm. you went for runs with your sisters and your parents and your headphones on and that sort of stuff as well. And you've spoken a lot about how much exercise is linked to mental well-being and I would agree with that totally mm-hmm. even as we've been out here in the last 20 minutes we're not exercising but we're in the fresh air yeah. and you can see the sea and it automatically kind of lifts lifts you so you want to speak a little bit about that I know you're doing lots of talks at the moment just about if someone is feeling down get out even go for a walk get some fresh air see someone speak to someone and that's something that you've been doing a lot in recent times I know you've been living in the gym with one of your good mates Connor Pepper as well <laughs> yeah yeah he would be delighted that you, you've, uh, you've linked in his name there but uh, no it was it was a thing that you know uh, the nurses wanted to help me um, and, and they just asked what, what I needed and as I said it was an open field it was something that I relied upon for previous two years and I knew it was something that helped me um, I was very much in the open mindset of um, trying anything and everything but I knew this was a solid foundation for me to begin and you know I, I had my ups and downs as, as depression inevitably is you know you're never going to be on a, an even keel for the, for the whole time that you're there but I just relied upon that and for anyone out there struggling I found that as uh, as something that works for me. It may not work for everyone, but you know, 
there, there's no point in knocking it before you try it and I always had that open mindset in terms of I had a lot of conversations with people around the hospital what worked for them what didn't and I just I always call it refer to it as my toolbox I always refer to, to it as you know dipping into my toolbox and seeing if that works for me you know whether it's someone saying painting helps me I tried that if it didn't if it didn't help I'll just push it aside and, and, and continue on from there but now running was something that definitely still to this day is a huge huge helping hand in, in my mental well-being what else is in the Shane Carty toolbox? Um, I would say even even the likes of this. Um, I often go on on a lot of drives. Um, stick in as I referred to my music before, um, and just go on a drive. You know, go to, go to some scenery or anywhere around the country for that matter, um, and sit there and just be 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 by myself. You know, I, I was never comfortable. For, for many years previous sitting there with my own thoughts and now I've become comfortable in recognising what emotions are coming through in a conveyor belt kind of type fashion that you know it, it was it was a hugely kind of positive thing for me to kind of go on these drives and get that kind of you know that positive feeling that where I, where I have come from so that would be another huge thing um, as I said exercise another thing is just just sitting there having a conversation with someone I, I, I don't have to say much it's a lot of what they they kind of say and just the kind of good feelings that you get from, you know, having a, a sociable conversation with anyone and everyone, you know. So some people's music playlists are very private, but <laughs> again, if you're going on a drive, don't answer if you don't want to, but what sort of music and, and songs do you put on when you're feeling good or to make you feel good? So a huge thing for me actually, was actually at the time when I was going through a difficult time was uh, Coldplay. Lovely, my favourite band. Good, good show. In particular, and, and funny enough, uh, a fun fact that my uh, they were actually my first ever... Uh, first ever band and concert that I've ever went to that was back in 2016 when they played in Crow Park I was there too unbelievable the best uh, well I, I had nothing to, to uh, refer to but apparently the best gig that's um, that's been around in the last last while so Coldplay would be a huge thing for me um, and Magic from Coldplay in particular it's actually tattooed on my arm the the, uh, the single uh, album uh, cover that they have is actually tattooed on my arm from bring me back to where I once was that for those three or four minutes that that in particular song was on that it brought me to a happier place and a more positive place a total aside to this but I'm going to make Shane jealous now I was at a wedding last week where the bride and groom Vinnie and Orna rented the Coldplay wristbands yeah the lights and I was in charge of them for the first dance putting on all the colours and it was like bringing me back to Croke Park to that happy place so you've reminded me of that so uh, yeah. fair play Shane last couple of questions four and a half years on now from the time you were in you know St. Patrick's as well you've mm-hmm. been to DCU you've gotten a degree mm-hmm. you're back playing at the top level you're hoping to play for the dubs again and mm-hmm. push for shh, five in a row <laughs> so it's been a, an interesting four and a half years but you've, you've been able to do some really really productive stuff since then mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and, and as you said um, I, I went back to DCU or sorry I, I attended DCU and, and, and qualified in, in sports science just, just there back in November um, graduated then and uh, I, I, four years ago I, I came back into the inter-county setup. Um, and, it's, and it's been a top two turvy kind of uh, road for me and it's something that I, I look forward to it's in, in the face of adversity I, I believe that you know you really become a stronger person and you know my footballing career hasn't quite gone the way I, I planned but again how, how I think now I'm not going to look at it as a negative I'm going to look at it as a positive I've been in and out the, the, the last few championship panels the last couple of seasons and, um, and if and when Jim makes that phone call uh, I'll be more than happy to, to, to oblige and, uh, and participate and hopefully, as you say, five in a row, but we'll keep that keep that to another day. So a, a possible those players actually mentioned the words five in a row. That's uh, very rare. <laughs> so you have you been able to picture the moment or, or, or try and think forward to the moment when and if, hopefully when, 
you're wearing that Dub Series again in Croker or in Parnell or, or whatever the game might be? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as you referred to there uh, earlier on about myself and Conor Pepper training, training very, very hard, I, I always have that in the difficult days that we have. Uh, sometimes two days um, and training nine, ten times a week. In those days that you don't want to get up, I always refer to that hurt that, you know, from not being around and actually seeing the lads thankfully being so successful in the last uh, number of years that it's driving me on to to make sure that I'm ready. And as I said, if and when that call comes, I'll be more than happy to uh, to accept that and hopefully play a part in 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 uh, their, their ever continuing success he was going to say five in a row there but <laughs> he didn't last two Shane you're still seeing people you're still seeing specialists you're yeah. still seeing psychologists to this day but it's not as frequent now and mm-hmm. you know you, you've spoken about your toolbox and the different bits that you need to try and help if you do feel down but you, you are fully aware that you still do need some help at, at, you know, at some times yeah absolutely and uh, as you said it's, it's less frequent now uh, when I first came out of the hospital I Thankfully, I, I was I was um, I was referred to a, a very very good psychologist. That, as you said, I still see today. It was more frequent at that time. It was maybe once twice a week, and it's spaced out now to maybe once every every two or three weeks. And it's be- it's beginning to um, you know give me a bit more independence and and that kind of eventual freedom that I'm striving for um, in in years to come. Whenever that may be, I'm not putting myself under pressure. I'm learning every day uh, what works for me, what doesn't. Uh, there's still things that that come into come into my world that I need to speak to my psychologist about and I'm absolutely perfectly I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that and uh, as you said it's uh, it's something that is still in my life and, and I'm willing to, uh, to willing to keep on going and if people want to read more or see more I know you're doing some talks and we'll pop up your social media details as well your Instagram and your Twitter where can they find you uh, Instagram S underscore Carty underscore um, and S underscore Carty eight on on Twitter. That um, I, I'll be I'll be sharing stuff that I will be doing over the next couple of months, and hopefully, as it has done already, uh, strike a chord with someone in some shape or form. Now, me and Shane are going to go for a nice walk around Hope. But very finally, the final quote of the blog. Mm-hmm. I know you might not remember every word for it, but will you paraphrase it for us? And and just the journey you've been on. It reads at the start. I'm no longer surviving. I'm living, and the end is very powerful as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I I thought it was very poignant to, to finish off with saying that depression is something that um, I, I'll need to face every day uh, but I'm willing to, to keep up that fight and the fire of life has been lit inside me and, I, and I'm ready to go. Unbelievable stuff from Shane Carthy and a lovely text from Graham on 0877989898 which reads, Jamie, seriously, please thank Shane so, so much for sharing that story. I can relate to it so much and it's great to hear such a big name sports star openly talk about mental health problems and issues. It's a big issue and the more people to talk about it, the better so we can help one another. Hashtag take care of your mental health and that is from Graham. Graham, thanks so much for your text and thanks to Shane for having a chat with us. You can watch that full video interview on the YouTube page of Off the ball as well and if you were affected by anything you heard myself and Shane talking about there there's three excellent websites aware.ie mentalhealthireland.ie and pieta.ie for information and help if you should need it and you can follow Shane on Instagram and Twitter just search Shane Card. he's got some great stuff up there and thanks as well to Paul Byrne on optophonic.com for uh, doing the video out there in Hoth yesterday 98FM now that's what I call sport get the full show every Sunday morning from 9 only on 98FM